This episode of Talking Home Renovations is supported by NCARB, National Council of Architectural Registration Boards. You are listening to Talking Home Renovations with a house maven. Is it time to renovate your house, but you're worried that you don't really know what you're doing? This is an educational and entertaining podcast that will ease your fears. Or maybe you just love hearing about home renovations like I do. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect. I practice in Eastern Massachusetts. On the show, I interview other architects, vendors, contractors, and homeowners to gather tips and stories about home renovations. You learn about materials, systems, sustainable practices, what to expect, what to avoid, and how to make the most of the money that you'll spend on your renovation. It's March again, so it's time for an episode on gardening. You might wonder why would I be talking about gardening in a podcast about home renovations, but in my mind, uh, the garden is part of the home. You see it out the window, you experience it walking through it. The whole thing is part of your home experience. So this year, I'm talking to Barbara Ballinger and Michael Glassman about our gardens. Barbara is a prolific writer, and Michael's an award-winning landscape designer in California. The two of them have collaborated on many articles and co-wrote The Garden Bible. Michael's also been part of a show called The Garden Police, which I definitely need to watch. Sounds like something I would really like. I'll link to all their information in the show notes. Uh, For the most part, I sat back and listened to their conversation about the importance of a plan in the garden. I was inspired to get started with my plan, and I hope you are too. Yes, I'm not a gardener by nature. I'm a gardener because, I mean, I've had gardens at my various houses and had experts, but it wasn't until I bought my current house as a single female after a divorce that I really took charge and had to think about what I was going to do with this charming 1797 house with property on four sides where the prior owners hadn't done anything. And uh, that's when I, I learned one of my mo- the most important lesson, and I credit Michael with teaching me this, is about the importance of a master plan. We address that in our book, The Garden Bible, but I've done, mentioned it so many times. Right now I'm writing another article for NAR and talking about it. And what it means is instead of Michael said, going to a garden store nursery, now they're actually, I'm hearing about pop-up trucks like food trucks, but with garden with plants, which is cute, a cute idea. Um, Going, instead of buying willy-nilly, oh, I like that petunia, or I like this or that, and you know, it it won't work in your soil or your climate. Deliberately buying, purposeful buying, because an expert, you hire an expert, They do a master plan, whether it's one area, all four areas, and they map out, it's a roadmap really, of what you're going to plant where, whether it's hardscape, the pavers, whether it's the overhead structure because of the sun, whether it's the perennial, whatever it is. And you're going to save money in the end because you're not putting in and then ripping out. And that's a big lesson that Michael taught me. Exactly. And that's one of the things exactly what Barbara said. I try to explain to people, it's like going on a, on a trip. You know, you want to go, you want to go from point A to point B, but you don't have a map and you don't have your route. And so you just get in the car and start driving. 
maybe eventually you'll wind up at your destination, but you may wind up getting lost and going off and uh, you may never even get there. And it's exactly the same thing with the landscape. I cannot tell you how many people I work with that they think they want something, a spa or a gazebo or a sitting area and they plop it down and then they, they put their hands up and they, it's like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with the rest of the space. And by doing a master plan, by thinking about the whole thing um, in today's market with prices, you know, just getting higher and higher, you can phase it in as long as you know where you're going and you can work at one area at a time rather than putting something in and realizing it's in the wrong location. You have to rip it out. We've forgotten to put electrical. We forgot to do plumbing. We forgot to do the gas line. And then you're you're having to either skip it, which is a, a it's is a problem or you're ripping up what you've just done or you want a tree, you see this as Barbara was saying, this beautiful tree that you've bought on impulse, you put it in the wrong place and either it dies because it doesn't get enough sun or it gets too much sun or it's, it's heating the foundation of your house because it's now a 60 foot tree. I learned some of these firsthand. When I had my master plan done 12 years ago, I really wanted a pond. And at that time, I think ponds were pretty big, you know, the, the site of koi fish and a little trickling water, et cetera, and over some rocks, how charming. And as, as I got to the backyard, I did the front yard first because I'm in a, on a main street and I felt it was my civic duty almost to fix up the front first. When I got to the back, I realized several people said to me, Barbara, you work the equivalent of full time. You're very busy in other ways. You don't have time for the maintenance and you don't want to spend the money. Go buy a CD and have the sound of trickling water. You know, so there went the, the pond without the idea. Then I also had my people put in a four raised planters for, I always thought it'd be great to have a real vegetable garden with a water spigot. I had it for nine years. It was wonderful. I would go out in the morning with my coffee cup and see what had popped up. What could I bring in for salad and eating? I loved it. But through the years, I had more aggressive squirrels as I described them. And I also had two groundhogs. I finally threw up my hands and thought, it's time to go to my farmer's market in town, which is great. And I removed all of that, which was expensive. Not I left the planters, but I removed the veggies and stuff. And I put in roses. So now I have a rose garden. And that's, that's part of the difference for me as a homeowner in remodeling an outside versus inside. Yes, you change the rooms. You change your kitchen over time. But these are living, breathing uh, elements. And you need to be very cognizant of how the soil changes, how the light changes as trees fill in. So it's a different kind of remodeling. And it is in that respect, but when we also talk about hardscape, which is what where it tends to get extremely expensive, as I said earlier, prices are going up. Um, people don't think of the outdoors as much as they do the indoors. And it's a very interesting thing, especially um, you're in New York, I'm in California, there's, we use the outdoors. Well, now everyone's using the outdoors a lot more, but um, because we're a sunbelt state where it, it's warmer earlier, people spend a lot of time outside, but it's amazing to me how people don't think through the spaces. I've never had a client ever say to me, they've had too much patio space. It's always the opposite. They don't have enough. And when people impulse 
design something without thinking through, without taking measurements, without thinking about the problems that they have to solve, um, they wind up with a big gigantic mess. So um, the typical used to be a 10 by 10 patio was big enough until you start measuring off a typical table needs eight and a half to nine feet of space in order to pull the chair out from under the table and navigate around it. Well, if you're a whole patio, especially if it's a raised deck or raised patio is 10 by 10, you've got people pulling their chair out and falling off the patio. And that's, that's supposing that you only wanna have one table with four or five chairs. People like to do entertaining with a lot of people. And so you have to plan for that. And if you've already put your patio in and then you want to add to it, you're never going to match. If it's concrete, it's not going to match. If it's tile, you, you may not get the same tile. So again, the whole idea of thinking through the elements that you want. And I mean, that's something that, that when we did the Bar Garden Bible, one whole section of the book talked about problem solving because whether people know it or not, every site has certain indigenous problems that need to be addressed when you're designing the yard, whether it be erosion, drainage, too much sun, too much shade, too much wind. These are things that if you don't solve the problem, you might as well take your money and just flush it down the toilet because it's all going to go to waste. Right. I think, I think that's very valid. And and Michael brings up another point with the patio. Uh, another big lesson I learned from him was, and which has evolved from, I remember, you know, very different from when I grew up in a suburban home, is there are now many outdoor rooms. It's not just, uh, you know, it depends, on, of course, on the space you have, but people tend to think in terms of, I want to have an area to relax. I want to have an area to cook. I want to have an area maybe to do yoga on a lawn. I wanna set aside an area for pool. So that's another reason for the master plan to map out different parts and how big they are and to budget and see, can you fit them all in? You know, Can you have this elaborate kitchen or could you be content just with a grill? You know, Do you want a screen porch? And then where is it going to attach to the home and these outdoor spaces and some Michael recently told me about a new trend he's seen in, in California and I have heard about it in my area which is more people are adding chicken coops uh you know they've become vegetable and herb gardeners and now they want to become farmers they're also beginning to add more greenhouses because they're more kits that are available so you don't have to necessarily have a custom design that you know you've uh, shipped in or from England. And the pandemic's changed everything because where there was always an emphasis and there still is on fixing up the inside of your house with the pandemic coming about and people weren't entertaining inside, but it was common that people were saying, okay, we can social distance outside. If we're outside, we don't have to worry about getting infected as much, even if we're six feet apart. Um, the, the emphasis was now, okay, I've got to make my outside a lot more attractive. We were getting mothers calling in the middle of the pandemic last year and saying, I have my kids all summer long. There are no summer camps. What am I supposed to do with them? Um, can you, in two weeks, can you put in a swimming pool so at least the kids can swim? And, it's, and we had to explain to them, no, there's a process. You can't just, you don't just snap your fingers and a swimming pool appears. Um, all of these things and people saying, well, we, you know, we want to entertain. Can you come out and put in a patio? But again, 
it's not just you just don't snap your fingers and the patio appears. I want to ask you about this because I've just begun to hear as people are so sick of staring at the same four walls, eight walls, 12 walls in their house. Uh, and after they've spent so much time setting up home offices, I'm now hearing from garden professionals that people are asking for home offices outside, which means boosting Wi-Fi. So are you hearing that in your area? Oh, all the time. In fact, I have a client right now that says, I do all my work now. Um, it's all done at home, but I get tired of looking at the four walls. So I want you to create a kind of a courtyard that's part of the yard, but it's also separate. Very zen, he said, I'm going to bring the Wi-Fi out there. We want electricity. I'm going to bring my desk, so I've got to have shade. I've got to have a fan to keep the bugs away. I want an environment that when I'm out there, even if someone is in another section of the yard, I feel like I can do my work. So absolutely, I'm finding that more and more because, again, people are working at home, and instead of always being inside, they want to be outside communing with nature, but at the same time, they've got to worry about the sun. If it's cold outside and they're outside, they don't want to have to be wearing um, a heavy-duty coat, having outdoor heaters or a fireplace. I, I cannot begin to tell you how many people are requesting these outdoor office spaces, outdoor working spaces. And what about, uh, because California has been so ahead of the curve versus the rest of the country, are you having a lot of clients say, I want an ADU, an accessory dwelling unit where I can work indoors, but not in my house. Or oh, absolutely. In fact, that's one of the things that it's, again, it surprised me because that is a brand new trend. I even have neighbors down the street that have small yards, but have found out that because they've loosened the requirements, the permit process is a lot easier. You can actually put the ADU four feet from the back fence and the side fence. You're allowed I mean, they have made it so easy. You can do up to 800 square feet of a unit um, and go up 16 feet. People are putting these in for offices to be able to get, get the kids out of the house and put them in a play area. Um, aged adults that they no longer can afford to put in a, in a, um, a center are now, they're building these ADUs so that the parents are there and then they can get an aid. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's becoming, also the housing crisis if you don't have enough money to be able to, your adult kids have to move home and you don't want them back in the house, you build an ADU unit and they can live in the back of the property, have their own entry and this way um, you save a lot of money. That is, that is the number one big trend that I'm seeing all over California. Yeah, we've been designing those at our, at our office too for that very reason, either having your parents live much closer by instead of being in a nursing situation or yeah, kids who can't really afford to move out, but they, you know, it's better not to be in the house. Um, I just love that these little houses are situated in the garden though, because to me that gives an opportunity to create a courtyard where there might not have been one before and a different sort of feel to a garden. So. Absolutely. And, that's, and again, it's not just taking a structure and just dumping it there. Um, it's actually giving the space and, and that's one of the things we're designing so that the entry is maybe separate, but they have their own little patio, an area that they can sit out so that if someone is living there, if you have an aged parent that's living there, they don't have to feel like they're always interacting with the family. They can go out, read a book, sit out there and have a little peaceful, quiet area that belongs to themselves. We all need some sort of ownership.
ownership of a space so that we don't always have to feel like we have to interact. Even if it's family, right, we don't right. always want to interact with our family. <laughs> right. We're going to take a break to talk about our sponsor for this episode, the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards, also known as NCARB. For those of you who don't know, NCARB's a nonprofit organization that's made up of the 55 licensing boards in the U.S. and its territories. So if you're a licensed architect, you would be going through NCARB at some point and also possibly have an NCARB certificate, which allows you to apply for reciprocal licensure in all the different states and jurisdictions. So they put out a survey called the Analysis of Practice Study, and it's your opportunity to shape the future of architecture. Honestly, if you're a licensed architect, why not just fill out this survey? I'm sure you've thought about these issues that they bring up in the survey quite a lot, and now's your chance. So whether you're an architect or you work with architects, NCARB wants to hear from you. So make sure your voice is heard. Go on over to ncarb.org slash AOP. That's N-C-A-R-B dot org slash A-O-P. Now back to our conversation. One trend that I've, I've been hearing about that we're going towards more, as someone called it, maximalism in the garden look as we are inside and away from minimalism, which is partially more natives because they're easier to grow and healthier and they'll attract plants, birds, pollinators. So it's a it's more of a bit of a wild look rather than that tamed shopping center look, you know, with plants just bordering the lawn. I wonder if you could address that, Michael, and how people might adapt their yards if they like that from how they have them. It is. It's funny because we never get a client that says to us, we want a high maintenance yard. Uh, you know, once in a blue moon, you'll find a client that actually loves to work in their yard on a regular basis. Most people say, I've got a little bit of time on the weekend, so I don't want to have to spend all my time pruning and cutting and weeding and putting in annuals. So I want a low maintenance. As I said, the biggest joke we always say is, you know, no one asks for a high maintenance yard. They all want low maintenance. When you start putting the, the plants that need a lot of attention, a lot of fertilizing, a lot of clipping, a lot of pruning, a lot of uh, maintenance, um, you find that the people don't have the time. And the biggest complaint here in California is there aren't the services. You get the mow blow service. They come in, mow your lawn, blow off the weeds, and that off they, they leave. They are allergic to weeding. They don't even know what a weed is. And so you're left looking at it going, well, isn't someone gonna shape my plants? And if they are pruning, they're turning everything into big gigantic ottomans or round balls. So we are now going into a trend where people say, I like it low maintenance, so I wanna go more natural so that everything isn't pruned to look like a, a big beach ball or an, a big ottoman off of the chair. It's kind of allowing it to have a natural shape. Low water, I mean, we're in California and yes, we're getting a little bit more rain here and there, but there is a drought and the drought is gonna continue and you can't have these massive lawn areas or massive planting areas that suck up all the water. So you have to think about native plants that need to be watered a lot less. Even if you want green, we have ground covers now. There's a ground cover called Carapia starts with a K, that almost looks like a lawn. It's green all year round. It has a white flower. It stays low to the ground. You roll it out like a sod. You don't have to wait for it to grow in. And from far away, it looks like a lawn, but it has to be mowed once a year. And it 
watered once it's established once or twice at the most a week. Whereas a regular lawn has to be watered every day, especially when it's 110 or 105 degrees and mowed once a week. So going into a ground cover that has to be watered once or twice a week, never mowed other than once a year, uh, that suddenly takes the maintenance part of it. And the one thing that I found which is really interesting is there are people that have a lot of money but they don't have a lot of time. Money doesn't equate a lot of extra time. And for those people that can afford to do a beautiful landscape, um, and their, their initial thing is I'll find someone to take care of it, but because there's such a lack of skilled labor out there that really know what they're doing, they're stuck with, they've put a lot of money into this yard. They've done this gorgeous landscape, but they don't have time to maintain it. And within six months to a year, this gorgeous space that you've spent an unbelievable amount of money on is suddenly looking ratty and terrible. So if you start changing your expectations and going to more natives, more natural, that doesn't mean it has to look like a desert. We're not talking Mojave Desert. We're talking about things that flower and that are beautiful, but that you're not spending your entire life maintaining. Um, you enjoy your time outside rather than spending all your time trying to maintain it. Michael, what about, you know, you brought up something about uh, with money. What's a good, I used to hear that it was good for homeowners to think about spending 10% of the value of their home on their yard, what if they come to you and they don't have a budget, you know, if they don't say, oh, I have 20,000 to spend, well, how do you, what do you guide them? Well, I basically ask some of the people, what, what are the elements that you want? And then, um, and a lot of times you'll say, do you have a budget? And unfortunately, the, the old adage, 10% of the cost of the house, we used to say it was 10%, 10 to 20% of the cost of the, the house for the hardscape and another 10% for the softscape, plants, drainage, mulch, that kind of thing. But that's all changed. And I'll be real honest with you. One swimming pool, which used to be expensive five, seven years ago at $35,000, $40,000. The average pool, this is in California, the average swimming pool, a 15-foot um, wide by 30 foot long with no bells and whistles, you know, no water features, no elaborate stone coping, just a very simple rectangular pool is now starting at about $100,000, which is nuts. It's crazy. So if you're thinking your budget is $100,000 and you want to put in a pool, that's all you're going to get. You're going to get a pool and you're going to barely even get a patio. So what I'd have to try to tell people now is, you have to change your expectations because if you have a limited budget, you either phase things in or you're going to have to take things out of that budget, out of the wish list because everything has gone up in price. And, you know, people will say to me, well, do you think the prices are going to go down? And I'd love to lie and say yes, but the reality is no, they, they just keep going higher. And then what about upkeep? You know, that's just the installation. What about the annual upkeep of a pool? Because labor cost keeps going. So if you have a pool, you've got to expect to spend, you know, to have a pool person come and check the levels and clean it and check your pump and clean out the leaves and, you know, keep your levels up of, of your chemicals. It's 100 to $150 a month, minimum, 
that's minimum. So, I mean, everything is going higher. I was just going to say concrete was the least expensive hardscape material in California. You used to be able to get just plain concrete for 5 to $7 a square foot. That same concrete right now is going 12 to $14 a square foot. It's doubled or tripled. So everything has gotten higher because of the availability, limited availability, because of the cost of, of labor, because of the cost of materials. And um, it's not going to go down. So people have to realistically, if they want to want to create these wonderful gardens, they're going to have to realistically start putting more money to it. It's not going to be an afterthought. It's got to be a primary thought if you want these incredible gardens. Is there a less expensive option? So let's say if people just want to make it a more pleasant space to be. What's the least expensive? Could they just put it down ground cover over the whole thing and just put out some chairs? <laughs> Because that sounds like that would be my you budget. Ground covers, yes, you can put chairs on, but you're not going to be able to entertain. I mean, decomposed granite um, is a crushed granite or gravel is a solution. But again, with every solution comes problems. I have clients that say, well, we're, we can't afford the concrete, so we're going to put DEG. But we've got these beautiful wood floors. Decomposed granite has a tendency to stick to your shoes, and especially with animals, and attracts it in the house then it scratches your wood floors. Same thing with gravel. I love pea gravel and it's got a great sound, but if you've got shoes that have a lot of traction in them, you know, a lot of the pea gravel gets tracked in your shoes, you go in the house and all these gorgeous wood floors are now all scratched. So with every good thing, there's a, there's a thing, you know, it's like people say, what about synthetic lawn? You know, the fake lawn that now has been perfected to look like real lawn. The good news is, yes, you can put tables and chairs in it. Yes, if you put a sprinkler in there, you can cool it off when it's summertime. But it has a lifespan of about 20, 25 years. And the New York Times did a whole article about after it goes bad and it starts looking ratty, it doesn't decompose in the landfill. So you go, well, do I want to put more stuff into the landfill that's just going to sit there and cause more problems because it's it's a it's a plastic product. So. You know, it's, it's weird because with every good thing, there's a bad thing. With every positive thing, there's a negative thing. So those are things that have to be weighed as you're thinking design. And that's why it is crucial that you make every ounce of your dollar stretch and that you think it through. You don't just throw things in because money's, you know, money's tight and money's expensive and you don't want to throw it away. What about Michael? Um you know, not a lot of people are having a hard time finding, uh, a lot of people are staying put because it's hard to find houses the, with the inventory so low. It used to be that curb appeal, especially with the front yard was so critical to making a house appealing for the next buyer. What does curb appeal, good curb appeal look like today in your view? Clean, um, I would say one of the biggest things, which, which is very funny and there's a whole TV show that they do there has a tendency over the years, you know, and we understand about hoarding, people collect stuff. And so one of the things that I found, and especially, you know, I have a lot of friends in real estate is part of the thing about selling a place and some part of the about curb appeal is getting rid of things, making things a little bit more open and clean instead of 20 pots, one or two big pots that are brightly colored that are blooming instead of having 30 little pots. So it looks like you've got a bunch of tchotchkes all over. Um, one wonderful tree, you know, uplift 
lit or that's pruned beautifully takes the place of, of 40 little shrubs that are half dead. Less is more and it's more effective. And so what I tell people is the less clutter you have, you know, if you've got a small patio, you don't want to clutter it with a lot of pots and statues and tchotchkes and things like that because it makes it look even smaller. But you have a small patio and you put a really nice dining set on there, maybe one pot, and you keep it clean and, and uncluttered it feels bigger. It's what they do in model homes. You know, they'll put a mirror up in a model home to make the room look bigger. And then they put undersized furniture. So when people walk in there, it looks like a bigger space. The, the, the bad thing is, is that when the people buy it and the mirror is not there and they put their furniture in there and they go, oh my God, in the model home that I looked at, they had this wonderful couch and a chair and a table. I put my couch in there and half of the couch is sitting in the, in the, the hallway because it doesn't fit. So it's, it's a lot of it is illusion. So my biggest advice for curve appeal, less is more. Simplicity, cleanliness, get rid of the clutter, make it colorful, make it clean. Um, the simplest thing to do is to paint your front door, paint your shutters, clean your house, pressure wash your patio, and then keep it really, really simple and clean. How does somebody go about getting a master plan? Do they have to hire a professional? I mean, I always advocate for professional design services because I feel like why reinvent the wheel? So either they could look for someone to help them or get your book. Some good ways are the American Society of Landscape Architecture or Designers, their associations, and most associations have a list online of members, and it's usually you plug in your zip code and you can find a professional. We always say, you know, when I'm writing art, real estate articles, it's, you know, go get three opinions. Most designers, architects will give you a free consult. See who you, you know, the chemistry works with you. See if they get your vision when you've done your homework in advance and say, this is what I'm looking for. If they listen to you, go walk your neighborhood. And um, I, knocked on someone's door. I love the color of their front door. It was a deep blue. And I said, can you tell me, you know, what paint manufacturer you use? So, you know, ask your friends for ideas, I think. Referrals are one of the best things. Ask friends, neighbors, people who they used and who they worked with. Um, and yes, some professionals do free consults. We don't. My attitude is when people call, I explain to them, I will do an hour consultation and I will basically redesign their yard, problem solve, give them ideas for planting, everything um, in an hour. And I tell people, record it, record the session, video the session, but I do charge for it because my attitude is people respect things that they pay for, things that they get for free, they disregard. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. I also charge for consultations. Exactly. So I that's one of the things that I first did when I got into the industry is I tried to re-educate because I was president of the California Landscape Contractors Association. And when I gave talks to to the membership, I said, don't give away what you have to have spent your life learning for free because people disregard it. So in that respect, I always charge. And I will tell you, when we leave a consultation and we tell people what it would cost to do a master plan, but even if they can't afford to do a plan, they've gotten enough information from us that they can at least do a lot on their own and start laying things out. It's not brain surgery. It's just thinking through the process. 
Yeah. And books, reading about the process in a book is great. I One of the things that I find is totally inspirational is traveling, going to see gardens all over the country, all over the world, seeing what, what was done before, um, you know, gardens in Italy, gardens in France, gardens in, in um, Spain. Um, I mean, the, the inspiration you get, you may not copy exactly, but you'll see something that resonates with you. You take a picture of it. And when you're doing your own space, you go, I love that concept and kind of make that concept work for your own space. And, you know, one thing we haven't talked about with this also is being inside the house and looking out, whether you're in your home office and you want to see something outside, or I have a small outbuilding on my property. I painted the door red and I painted the faux windows with scenes of two paintings because I can see it from my kitchen. So you're not outside all the time, especially when you live like we do, Catherine, in the Northeast. But if you have the right lighting installed outside, you can at least enjoy it, even if it's trees with snow and ice on them. You're absolutely right. And what we say to people is even we'll put outdoor fireplaces. Now you're not allowed to burn wood because you know the environment, but they're gas. You can turn on an outside fireplace, even if you're not sitting there, look out your window yeah, you know, and see this beautiful fireplace and setting. And even if you're not sitting there, it gives you something focal, a fountain, a fireplace, a piece of art. One of the things that I've done is, uh, you know, in my own yard, we've got some real Really wonderful pieces of art that we've lit um, and it and all year round no matter when what time of the day no matter what's going on whether it's raining or it's foggy we see the art pieces and it's just it's magical it's totally magical yeah I I like to design I really don't like the winter very much so I don't cut I don't cut a lot of my perennials down so that they make these kind of icy sculptures on their own and the birds take the seeds and all the rest of it so yeah, it's hard to get through the winter. And for in Massachusetts or upstate New York, it is most of the kind of the majority of the year. Although I have flowers blooming in my garden from um, March to December, right. so, which is pretty right. good for Massachusetts. A lot of people think it's just the summer. And so planning for the all the seasons, I think, is really important, too, if you're thinking about what to plant. Where can people find you, too? The Garden Bible, is that for sale everywhere on particular websites? It's, it's online. I mean, it was in a lot of bookstores. It came out several years ago, but it's still available on Amazon. I have a website, www.michaelglassman, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-L-A-S-S-M-A-N.com. I have a website. Um, house. We have a very good presence on the website House, H-O-U-Z-Z. We have about 450 photos of different projects we've done. And, um, you know, we're out of Sacramento. So if you log on to Find a Pro, um, we're one of the top listings of, in Sacramento. Um, if, for those of you that don't know, Sacramento is the, Cal the capital of California. Um, well, everyone should know that. Exactly. With Barbara and I, we still work on articles with the Real Editor magazine. Um, I had a TV show for two years in LA and I do some work with HDTV. You know, I, I was uh, one of the designers on Yard Crashers. So, you know, a lot of people will recognize the voice or they'll see me and they'll go, oh, we saw you somewhere. So that's kind of where you find And I, I think it's wise to work with someone in your area mm -hmm. because they know the environment. They know the environment, they know the soil, the weather conditions, and they know the, the plant materials rather yep. than yep. 
Um, so I will say I did work in upstate New York. I did several homes there. I'm now flying in, in April to North Carolina to work on my sister's yard. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, for me, it was always before I go anywhere, I study the climate. I see, I, I look at what grows. I, if it's a historic home, I spend a couple of weeks researching the history of the architecture. So I'm not putting something that doesn't belong. You know, that's just me. I, I love old historic uh, properties and architecture. So I do a lot of research before I jump into it. And uh, I don't try to make the California look fit everywhere because it doesn't. So well, and, they're, and they're great botanic gardens right. in yeah. so many places. I remember when you were in South Africa, you yes. took wonderful photos of several of the botanic gardens there. Oh, it was it was amazing. And so that's why I say people, you know, get inspiration wherever you can. But I agree with Barbara, getting someone local that knows the conditions and the problem solving of the area is really crucial. Definitely. I mean, you can't, a lot of people come to me when I was doing some landscape design and they want a particular plant that doesn't grow in their area. And so it's important to just realize that if you want tropicals, you're going to have to have them in pots and bring them in, or you can have them, but you still have to work it into your overall plan. And not every plant grows everywhere, which I'm kind of surprised to learn that not everybody knows. Right. So Yes. I, I planted blueberries in my yard in the soil. They didn't work. I really wanted lilacs because I grew up with lilacs and I found that they have worked. I mean, I first, you know, asked my local favorite nursery, and they said, yes. And, and that's one thing I bought from one local nursery because they raise everything from seed and it tends to be healthier and they know what's going to work rather than buy my plants online from- I agree. That are shipped in. Well, you know, I really appreciate your time today. I'm definitely gonna go check out your house account. And um, this is the time of year where I love dreaming about gardens. And now that I'm moving, I have a whole new garden to plan. So oh, wow. where are you moving? Either the South coast of Massachusetts or the Cape, you know, so it's a different zone than where I live now. And um, yeah, it's fun. And I love the native plants. I love learning about that and just figuring out how they like to interact together, all these plants that you're planting together. Because to me, that's another thing to think about. Like, do they like to be with each other? Do yeah. they have the similar water um, right. needs? You know, all that. It's it's like building a community, really. So understanding the members of the communities. We call them plant marriages. Oh, yeah. Plant marriages. And some of them are pretty famous marriages. And then others, yeah. you can kind of get inventive with it. So thank you to NCARB for their support of this podcast episode. Visit ncarb.org slash AOP and contribute to the analysis of practice survey today. Thanks for listening. I hope you subscribe to this podcast. If you don't, please head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. And if you have time to write a review, that would be so helpful. Please contact me for any reason at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. I love to hear from people. You could also join my Facebook group, which is Talking Home Renovations Together. And I'm on there with a bunch of people who have also been on the show, have been guests on the show, and other architects and homeowners and contractors. And so we can just talk about whatever issues people might have right there in the Facebook group. If you're on Clubhouse, come join me 10 a.m. Eastern, Saturday mornings. There is so much information on my website, which is TalkingHomeRenovations.com. Head over there for transcripts, episode enhancements, other information. You want to be a guest? That's where you'll find 
that information in the application. This podcast is a member of Gable Media, which is the largest AEC network on the planet. Check out the other content on the network at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. This podcast is a production of my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. Until next time, take care. have spent your life learning for free because people disregard it. So in that respect, I always charge. And I will tell you, when we leave a consultation and we tell people what it would cost to do a master plan, but even if they can't afford to do a plan, they've gotten enough information from us that they can at least do a lot on their own and start laying things out. It's not brain surgery. It's just thinking through the process. Buying books, reading about the process in a book is great. I, one of the things that I find is totally inspirational is traveling, going to see gardens all over the country, all over the world, seeing what, what was done before, um, you know, gardens in Italy, gardens in France, gardens in, in um, Spain. Um, I mean, the, the inspiration you get, you may not copy exactly, but you'll see something that resonates with you. You take a picture of it. And when you're doing your own space, you go, oh, I love that concept and kind of make that concept work for your own space. And, you know, one thing we haven't talked about with this also is being inside the house and looking out, whether you're in your home office and you want to see something outside, or I have a small outbuilding on my property. I painted the door red and I painted the faux windows with scenes of two paintings because I can see it from my kitchen. So you're not outside all the time, especially when you live like we do, Catherine, in the Northeast. But if you have the right lighting installed outside, you can at least enjoy it, even if it's trees with snow and ice on them. You're absolutely right. And what we say to people is even we'll put outdoor fireplaces. Now you're not allowed to burn wood because you know the environment, but they're gas. You can turn on an outside fireplace, even if you're not sitting there, look out your window you know, and see this beautiful fireplace and setting. And even if you're not sitting there, it gives you something focal, a fountain, a fireplace, a piece of art. One of the things that I've done is, uh, you know, in my own yard, we've got some really wonderful pieces of art that we've lit um, and it and all year round no matter when what time of the day no matter what's going on whether it's raining or it's foggy we see the art pieces and it's just it's magical it's totally magical
It's it's online. I mean, it was in a lot of bookstores. It came out several years ago, but it's still available on Amazon. Um, I have a website, www.michaelglassman, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-L-A-S-S-M-A-N.com. I have a website, um, House. We have a very good presence on the website, House, H-O-U-Z-Z. We have about 450 photos of different projects we've done. And, um, you know, we're out of Sacramento. So if you, if you, um, log on to find a pro. Um, we're one of the top listings of in Sacramento. Um, it, for those of you that don't know, Sacramento is the cal the capital of California. Um, and, uh, exactly. And of course, in in with Barbara and I, we still work on articles with the Realtor Magazine. Um, I had a TV show for two years in LA, and I do some work with HDTV. Um, you know, I, I was uh, one of the designers on Yard Crashers. So, you know, a lot of people will recognize the voice or they'll see me and they'll go, oh, we saw you somewhere. So that's kind of where you've- And I, I think it's wise to work with someone in your area because they know the environment they know the environment they know the soil the weather conditions and they know the the plant materials rather yeah. than yeah. um so i will say i did work in upstate new york i did several homes there i'm now flying in in april to north carolina to work on my sister's yard how nice um, yeah. so i mean uh, for me, it was always before I go anywhere, I study the climate, I see, I, I look at what grows, I, if it's a historic home, I spend a couple of weeks researching the history of the architecture, so I'm not putting something that doesn't belong, you know, that's just me, I, I love old historic uh, properties and architecture, so I do a lot of research before I jump into it and uh, I don't try to make the California look fit everywhere because it doesn't. So well, and, they're I mean, and they're great botanic gardens, right? In so uh, many places. I remember when you were in South Africa, you took yes. wonderful photos of several of the botanic gardens there. Oh, it was it was amazing, and so that's why I say people, you know, get inspiration wherever you can. But I agree with Barbara. Getting someone local that knows the conditions and the problem solving of the area is really crucial. Right. Yes, I, I planted blueberries in my yard in the soil. They didn't work. I really wanted lilacs because I grew up with lilacs and I found that they have worked. I mean, I first, you know, asked my local favorite nursery and they said, yes. And, and that's one thing I bought from one local nursery because they raise everything from seed and it tends to be healthier and they know what's going to work rather than buy my plants online from- I agree. That are shipped in. Oh, wow. Where are you moving? 
my in Somerville. He says. Yeah. <laughs> We call them plant marriages. Yep. Yep. You're welcome. Thank Pleasure. you very much. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, so I'm just going to stop it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I My garden is like the opposite of decluttered. It is just um, an experiment out there. So, well, I was a Massachusetts master gardener. Um, yeah, but I let that lapse, of course. So um, I have to go deal with that again. But yeah, I love, I just love plants. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, my daughter, I, I had to stop volunteering everywhere because my older kids left home and nobody was around to babysit my daughter. So my free babysitting went out the window. But now she's graduating from high school, so I could easily go back to helping. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I'm really excited. Thank you. Um, I think this is a perfect time of year to, you know, to be talking to people.